0: In this episode, I speak with Jocelyn Brady. Jocelyn is a brain coach based out of Portland, Oregon, and the founder of Scribe Story Studios. Her work is an interesting blend of language and neuroscience, and she uses this to help create powerful stories that connect brands with their audiences, sometimes in pretty funny ways too. We had a fascinating conversation, and I'm sure you're going to love it. Stay tuned. You are listening to In Your Element, where we uncover stories, thoughts, and ideas dedicated to helping you find your own element. Let's dive right in. I hope you enjoy the show. It's really interesting how you are a self-proclaimed brain coach. I'd love to get into that. How did you get to be a brain coach and what sparked that interest in you?
1: So I've been fascinated by the brain as long as I can remember. It really cranked up when my dad had a stroke and I was in my 20s and he lost his ability to speak and he regained it. So spoiler alert, but that showed me so much about neuroplasticity and that even a physically damaged brain could rewire itself. And later I you know, I started up my own story consultancy. I was helping these really big brands tell stories. And, um, and I would start teaching workshops to their marketing teams. And I found myself sneaking more and more of the neuroscience into the storytelling workshops. And I was like, this is, this is my jam. Like this is so interesting, you guys, this is so cool. Look what's happening in your brain. And they're like, yeah, okay, but we're selling a brand. And, and a couple other things that were part of that, I realized that I loved how people felt when they came out of a workshop and all of that curiosity was flowing and the joy and people connecting, but without any kind of continued encouragement or container for that, people tend to fall into the confines of the corporations they work in when I was working in these big, big corps. I just wanted people to feel like they it's it's okay to be yourself. You can have more fun at work. Life is going to be full of hard stuff, so you might as well laugh more and question a lot of the structures and norms that are in place that maybe aren't healthy or helpful for human beings. So I got more and more into how can I help people's brains tell better stories so they can live well versus tell, helping these brands tell better stories to sell. And in 2016, I found this place called Neuro Leadership Institute. So I, about a year later, I got my certification and practiced on people mostly in secret while I was running my other business. And yeah, so now it's been four-ish years and I finally came out officially as a brain coach in 2021.
0: So brain coach in 2021. And what were you doing before that?
1: So I was running a brand consultancy. It's called Scribe. I started it in 2008 and it grew from, from me in my second bedroom rental going, what am I doing? I just want to earn a sandwich to all of a sudden growing. I was also extremely dedicated to my work and I was getting an MFA in creative nonfiction writing at the same time. So it was just like, when I'm not writing, I'm writing. (laughs) It's so fun. And And this grew really quickly. So over time, I was amassing a team. I was like, oh, now I'm running a business. I have to get help. And, you know, this thing started to grow beyond what I ever imagined to the point where there's projects going on. I was no longer even aware of everything. And my job became mostly from being the writer to overseeing writers to like now I'm the CEO of, of a company. And I loved doing the, working directly with other C-levels. So I was doing a lot of that, working with marketing directors and C-levels and C-suite teams and working on literally developing brand voices for multi-billion dollar brands and figuring out how to train teams on how to tell these brand stories and how to be consistent and how to show up, how to have a personality, how to be distinct in the market alongside these really big brands from like, you know, UK and LA, London, Atlanta, New York. And then me and my team in Portland are like scattered all over.
0: So I'd be really curious, can you share an example of one of the learnings that you've taken from neuroscience and how you actually apply that working with these brands?
1: Something that comes to mind often is just a really simple way of thinking about how we approach the world. And that is we tend to have two primary states and that's toward and away. So either we're toward meaning open, receptive to new experiences, are more playful, creative, you know, finding more flow. The best side of us, typically. Ready to explore and have an adventure and laugh a lot. And then we have the, you know, away, which is, nope, I feel threatened. I'm shutting down. I'm going into my cave. I'm hiding forever. No one can touch me. Stay away. I'm keeping everything I have. And it's just the more reactive fear reactive state and our brain is a really strong negativity bias so because its job is to keep us safe so when it sees stuff that's new it's going like that's a threat we don't know this before you haven't experienced this let's put all the sirens off to 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 warn you and just to have that as a principle to think of it's like okay we can kind of tend to be this way or that way understanding that's how we work and how can we get into a more toward place when we do feel like we want to shut down and it's going against our better nature to do that. Obviously, sometimes we need to rest and and close, close up shop, but, but being more aware, we can be more deliberate in our choices.
0: Do you think that it is a common mistake for brands to trigger that kind of defensive, Oh, get away from me type response in people. Is that something that brands get wrong often in their marketing or have you found that brands just aren't doing enough of like the other thing to make people want to rule in or go like toward like you mentioned
1: I think a lot of brands are way too self-referential like they're not putting in the real work of talking to people and having a real empathetic understanding we saw so much of it in the last year right sort of like this virtue signaling brand fest and everyone's like well here's what i say now or we see it now like well i better put up my rainbow flag but then there's no substance behind it it's like why don't do shit unless you actually stand by it and who are your people that you're serving Like, get in a conversation with them you know everyone's um it's okay to have different opinions it's okay to stand for different things I think it's it's being more in touch with with who that is and what's re- genuinely authentic to you. I don't know if that exactly answered your question, but that's that's my initial reaction to what I see brands doing. It's like just shut up and listen and be real and it's like experiment and play.
0: I think there's so much truth to that, you know, I think some of my favorite brands, they have this feeling of authenticity to them, the ones that you can tell they put in effort to try and have like a sense of personality or cut through a lot of this like cold corporate speak. It's got no personality. And I that makes me want to support these brands. And I find it quite common, especially in upcoming brands. I feel like for some reason, like larger corporations, it tends to be a kind of stereotype that, you know, there's less personality. That Some do a great job, but I feel like it's a stereotype that you know, some struggle with that. And I'd be really curious, working with these really big brands, how do you help them see the light, so to speak?
1: Since I've transitioned my core services of what I'm doing, it's going now, so so prior, it's a little bit easier to sell, more tangible, like I can help you develop your brand voice and strategy and a tangible thing you get out of it is a guide and training teams and, uh, you know, Overseeing language that goes to really important places like a Super Bowl ad. So it's it's easier for people to visualize what they're getting. And now I'm doing, you know, a lot of one-on-one working on the new evolution of the kinds of workshops I'm taking out there. And it it can be more nebulous, right? So it's like, well, I'm teaching you skills that yes, are better communication, but it's also stress management and resiliency you think of these skills. So like being, being more creative, being more open and receptive, receptive, coming up with more innovative ideas, being more resilient, able to tolerate stress, better health and well-being. That's going to make you a better employee. If, if the brands and the businesses need to see the business case for treating people well, (laughs) because treating people well, isn't enough of a business case, sadly, then we can look to, well, look, people are more productive. We're, We're looking at, look, what's happening with this more flexible work arrangement. And you just see that it's like nine to five in the office does not work for everybody. Some people might like that. Some people might want to be in the office. Some people are way more productive at home. And the, and the fact is it's complicated and working with human beings, there is no cookie cutter policy. You can't have one set of guidelines that work for everybody that bring out the best in people. This is no longer a factory line, economy, it hasn't been for some time and and our designs for the work environment and how we treat people has not caught up to the fact that we're a knowledge-based economy and you have to take care of your brain or you're Mm. going to burn out.
0: Yeah, I think that is that is so true. Especially this last year where we have had so much, you know, quote unquote virtual fatigue from being on conference calls all day and it takes a lot of energy you know and we've got to be really mindful of the fact we need to like recharge and have some fun too right a lot of us have had our you know hobbies and activities like put on pause the past year and so like one of the things I love is I love dancing I love doing hip-hop in London like you'll find me there like every week doing hip-hop and I miss doing that so much like this this pandemic so Jocelyn we've talked a little bit about the impact that knowing about the brain can have on storytelling now i'm really curious to learn about the reverse how can storytelling or language and the words you use impact the brain
1: oh man i mean so think of your brain as a storytelling machine it's how we understand and make sense of the world right everything Mm. is story it's filling in details when it doesn't know things and for to help us make sense but also sometimes to our judgment the language we use, if you think about it, something as simple as, so inter-office uh, relationships, if someone is saying, if a boss is saying to an employee, you didn't finish this, why didn't you finish this? It's immediately going to put that person on the defensive. If you just simply change a language to, hey, I noticed you didn't finish this. Can I ask, is this still important to you? Or how can we prioritize it differently? just slight change of language and tone puts person it's like the difference between again the toward and away right like you could have someone be in that really defensive space and they're going whoa wait wait a minute no don't you don't get to judge me and all this world that's going on and you, you start uh you stop listening you shut down because you don't we don't like being attacked um so those just thinking of that like how you're relating with other people using language how Triggering and provocative. It could be like we've seen what's the last year with this, too. It's just how we treat people based on one visible thing. And it's extremely powerful how we put people, how we identify people, and how we create all these associations through labels. And half the time we don't even know what the full context of these things mean. So I think it's being very kind with the language we use with ourselves and others, and being as curious as we can when we don't understand something, trying to notice, okay, I'm feeling like I'm going to shut down or defensive. What can I do here to calm myself down and maybe, maybe explore? Maybe I don't understand something quite right or maybe I'm not seeing eye to eye with this other person uh, where's where's an opportunity where I can ask a question some people aren't worth it and it's like you don't want to get in a fight and you need to just take care of yourself but I think that it's helpful to think of how we interact with others in the language we use to see the power it has and then you can think of what do I what am I saying to myself because a lot of the times we're so cruel to ourselves you know like oh I'm such an idiot I'll never figure this out who am I to think I'm going to do that it's too late to even start trying this what will so-and-so think if I go out and do this wild and crazy thing? We treat ourselves like we would never treat our best friends or children or people we really care about Mm. that are best.
0: Mm, Yeah. And I think a big component of that is the story that we tell ourselves. And it was really interesting. I had another guest on the show just last week, Bryce Conlon, and we spoke a little bit about how the story that you tell yourself can really change how you feel about situations and the way that you interact with people after the fact, if that's a good situation or or not, you can completely reframe a situation and turn something negative into a positive, just with the story that you tell yourself.
1: Absolutely. And like, that's such a good example that it's just, a, I love that exercises on perspective, perspective shifting and thinking about perception and how we tell the stories about things that are happening or what if what's happened in our life or a recent interaction with someone. An exercise we did in one of my workshops last year was flipping the script on COVID. So how do you how do you tell the story of COVID as the best thing to have ever happened? Just to help you see that there's things that come out of it that are that are positive. Cause again, the negativity bias is really strong. So we tend to focus on all that stuff we don't like that's uncomfortable. And then you see the other side of it and it just helps you, it can help you self-regulate, help you calm down. It helps you, again, get into that more towards space where you just see more possibility. Uh, Yeah, the stories we're telling ourselves shape everything about how we think, who we think we are, how we think we interact, what we think is possible. It's amazing how the power that that has.
0: Have you tried working to help individuals change like the stories they tell themselves, the, themselves or like their beliefs? And what does that look like? What kind of strategies would you use to help someone change or reframe the stories that they're telling themselves?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a free version on my website, jocelynbrady.com. And it's a very simple example of when you find something that's really triggering and it's driving you nuts And you just, if you find a way to just, okay, put this into a sentence, like what is this thing that's driving you nuts and really understanding it. So what is your brain telling you about that? What is it telling you that might be true or that must be true because of these things? And usually it's going back uh, to something you believe about yourself, like a core belief you have about yourself in the world that hurts to even say out loud. It's like, oh, well, if I believe the worst thing that could be true, if I believe that I scare people away or something is uh, I'm unworthy of love, you know, something like that. Or it's like that, oh, I don't want to say that out loud. I don't want to, no, it's not true. I don't believe it, you know. But usually when you you feel a, a certain way about it, you're getting close to, well, that's where a lot of the narratives are coming out from. And just don't judge it. Just hold it there. Just kind of go, okay, that's a story. It's just a story. It's just a story my brain made up. So how else can I see this? How can I prove myself wrong? Where are all of the ways I've shown that, you know, if the issue is untrustworthy, that I am trustworthy, that I've uh, done something I've said, and it could start so simple because your brain's going to want to resist. And it could be as like simple as saying, I said I was going to brush my teeth today. And then I did that. I was thirsty and I thought I needed water and then I drank water. So I was like, you know, being healthy. To myself and it's just just the tiny tiny things just to show yourself that it's easy to overlook all these other bits of information that we we get these really strong biases and we believe that nothing else is possible so it's just the very first thing is bringing this stuff to your awareness once you're aware of it you can decide to change it and then it's the it's work right it's like it's developing new habits of thinking and it starts with that proverbial one push up. But then, if you want to really get in shape, you can't just stop there.
0: I think it is so crucial to have awareness. And I was listening to uh, another podcast which mentions a similar idea as well. A lot of people have different reasons for actually physically getting in shape, right? Whether they want to lose weight or they want to gain weight or they just want to be like healthy or whatever. And I noticed for the longest time for me, fitness and exercise was all about like, okay, this is my hour of like torture. This is my my suffering. I just get it out of the way and like do it because I don't know, maybe I wanted to lose weight or whatever. And then like my story changed. I started thinking, well, actually, I just kind of want to be healthy. I want to feel good. And then exercising became not punishing myself, but more taking care of myself became like an act of like self-care and the same with like eating, right? If you are in this mindset of like, I just need to like lose weight or whatever, it becomes a lot easier to see food. as like, Oh, this is just like all calories. And like, Oh my gosh. And like you get into that mindset, but just changing the story, like I want to be healthy. It just like becomes a lot easier to eat the right things and then the rest kind of falls into place. So I think that is, that is really powerful. Do you have any good tools or strategies to, become aware of some of these stories, because I think for a lot of us, we might be running on the hamster wheel, so to speak, and we don't even notice that we're telling ourselves horrible things.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like you said, a lot of us are running on the hamster wheel. So the very first thing is like, just take a minute, (laughs) just take a beat. And we don't, I think we like, when's the last time you, any you, the broader you, didn't check your phone for anything, for an email, for social media, for a text, for anything, for more than a few hours? How about for a full day or a long weekend? When my answer is, I don't remember, I know I'm overdue for, for a real break. And that's just one example where it's like, the there's the Power of nature, getting out into nature and disconnecting. I think that combination is incredibly rebalancing and the science behind that. There's science behind that, you know, like forest bathing. You can go into nature and it, people who have high blood pressure, their blood pressure starts to come down. People who have low blood pressure starts to come up. So it's like a, it's a natural equalizer. It's, it's phenomenal. It's fascinating. So I think that if you can just take a break and kind of get, get into equilibrium somehow... And it doesn't even have to be a big trip. Like, listen, if, if you don't, if you can't do that, get outside and take a few deep breaths and just go, okay, what am I, what's coming up? If I just got in a fight, what's coming up? My brain wants to say all these nasty things about that's that person's fault and this and that, you know? So it's like, okay, what, there's different techniques for different scenarios, but in that case, you could, people hate this one. But if you, if it is about getting in a fight, then you look at what are all the reasons that other person is absolutely correct. Just to show you that that person again, there's like like seven billion people on the planet or whatever, we can, we can we never know what's going on in another person's brain, let alone ourself, our own. It's hard, it's a mystery. So if you think about that other person, what are the thoughts that they might be having? And it you can, might be able to start seeing like, oh, that, they, there's a point there. and oh wow, I'm reacting really strongly to this. Oh, it's because, I feel taken advantage of because I'm not speaking up for something I really need. You know, again, it's a process. I'm making it sound like it's r- this really easy thing that you just like sit down and 10 minutes later, it's all solved. <laughs> but those are some examples that, that might be helpful.
0: Something I've been reading about recently is this book. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, the, the Power of Now. I think it's like pretty popular. Eckhart Tolle. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And one of the ideas is when you're in a fight with like someone how it's a good idea sometimes to just surrender to the feeling and then respond from a place of like non-resistance which i think is is really interesting it's kind of like what you're saying right take a time to like actually reflect and put yourself in the other person's shoes like why might they be right and it kind of remove yourself from your ego a little bit <laughs> so you know the energy kind of dies down and you're like more level-headed i think that's an that's an awesome strategy and for me personally i'm super interested in how we can better like build relationships with people, better communicate. One of the reasons why I was really excited to have you have you on. And I find that really interesting and also some really great ideas in another book that you, you actually recommend as well. Words can change your brain, which is really, really interesting read. Highly recommend for those uh, listeners out there that are curious about this topic. So those are a couple of, of really awesome things you called out now. Something else I'd love to get your, your thoughts on is we, we just touched upon this idea of, of burnout and how nature is really rebalancing and whatnot. Do you have any other uh, strategies that either you use or you recommend to help rebalance, avoid burnout? And what might those be?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) My voice is burnt out. It's like, there's a cat hair sticking out of my microphone. Okay. Hello. Don't get a cat. So I think again, there's, it's, it's very personal and contextual, but it is the number one thing is, can you just take a minute and step back and see where your energy is going? I mean, things like an energy audit, just sort of looking at where are you spending your time and attention and focus for the majority of the day? If you look o- if you look over multiple days, you might start to see some patterns. Sometimes with burnout, it's really hard because we just we don't know. We're just spinning. Everything just feels like a chore, and you know it's just this one slog of frustration. There's a term that I think it was a New York Times article that just came out. Somebody just talking about it yesterday, where the, they're saying that we're languishing. So it's like not necessarily everyone's in burnout just a sense of languishing like it's this we've gone through this long weird stretch of what is time and now it's like are things gonna be back to quote normal what does that even mean and man I just keep coming back to that number one thing is like take up take a minute and recharge Uh, find something that nourishes you for my boyfriend it was recently he was questioning some things about what he's doing with career and work and and he hadn't seen his family in more than a year. It's like, go home. Like they live in the Netherlands, like go home, that go to where you grew up to where, you know, these people love you. You have these really great friends there. Despite lockdown, you'll probably be able to have some time where you just, your only job is to be. And if you can do that, I know it, I know that again, sounds so much easier when you're in the midst of burnout and you feel like you can't you can't get a break but you owe it to yourself call in sick take a day off go do nothing like number 1 job do freaking nothing <laughs> like see if you can uh, do some self care or have a really nourishing conversation with someone close to you if you are going to do something make it that i think it's a, there's a longer term uh, play here for burnout, that's not going to solve the problem, right? It's kind of, you got to reconnect to what what's meaningful to you. Where are your values misaligned with how you're spending your time?
0: I think that energy audit you mentioned is really interesting because it, it comes back to this idea of you've got to have awareness to know what's going wrong. And we can very easily see what we spend our money on. There's like so many apps these days that track everything, right? But where you spend your time is not as clear cut. You know, some people schedule everything, and that's one way to do it. But there's also a lot that's just more like intangible and just checking in with yourself every now and then and saying, okay, I'm putting like a lot of energy into this. Do I want to be doing that? Could definitely be a reason why a lot of people feel like disconnected and can definitely see how that that leads to to burnout. I'm really curious, what are some of the things that you like to do to recharge and rebalance?
1: Walks in nature. I like, I love walking. I quit running when I was 14 when I had all these joint problems, like knees, hips, shin splints, all the things. So I took up surfing and I I grew up in Hawaii, so that helped. And so surfing, like being next to or in the ocean, I can't think of, it's like so bliss for me any ocean anywhere. I love the Oregon coast is so beautiful. It's rugged. It's like totally different kind of beauty than what I grew up with. Um, so yeah, getting into nature somehow and then just like chilling and and having a nice cocktail somewhere at a, outside on a patio every now and then, especially in some thinking like summer's coming up and it's like a nice, you know, chilling with a friend and uh, going to comedy shows, which I'm looking forward to doing again.
0: You're also somewhat of a comedian yourself, aren't you? Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: I love comedy. I have always adored people who can dedicate their life to comedy. We grew up watching, you know, Carlin, Richard Pryor, these early shows. Oh man, I'm not like blanking. Was Rip Torn was in it? Anyway, I loved these Letterman, these... um people who spent their lives really making people laugh and think Robin Williams. And I just, I just think that's like such a magical way to live. And I know there's a lot of downsides to it. And there's a lot of toll that can take. But watching people today, like Dave Chappelle, I didn't do stand-up comedy, but I did host a show for a couple of years with stand-up comedians and storytellers after taking about four years of improv and thought, I do not want to put on an improv show because mm, when it's bad, it's, mm, you don't, anyway, I wanted, yeah. to have, I wanted to have something a little yeah. more curated and uh, and to bring together these, you know, storytelling and stand-up comedy aren't necessarily thought of at the same venue. So it's like this funnier angle to stories and really good stand-up comedians are naturally really good storytellers at a wine bar. And that was really wonderful. And these comedians, I cannot take the credit, but I will like name drop. They've, they've gone off to go like two days after one of our shows, one of the comedians aired on Conan and, you know, then they've gone off to write for Colbert, Comedy Central, Jim Jeffries show. Yeah. I'm like, we pick good talent. <laughs> so Yeah. It's people coming out of Portland and moving to LA and uh, they occasionally come back and forth.
0: It really shows that you have this passion for comedy. I mean, I see it a lot in the way that you present a lot of your brand, your personal branding online. You know, you have this really lighthearted approach to your language and it's actually really refreshing and it makes you seem like a really fun person to work with as well. And I'm really curious, like, What's your take on corporations that want to add or like brands that want to add a bit more flair or personality? Do you recommend that they'll try and be more funny or like, how does that usually fly?
1: <laughs> My initial reaction is a thousand per- percent, yes, yes. <laughs> try it, be funny. It's not going to be appropriate for every situation, but it's like, ugh, I think a lot of the issue is a lot of these corporations are so risk averse that they think, that it's difficult for them to be funny because if something's funny to one person, they're like, "This might be offensive." I mean, I there's been times where what there's a there's an exercise I do that's called shitstorming, and uh, I didn't make up somebody else has used that name surely before, and but I'm like, it's shitstorming. That's what it's called. You think of a shitty project and then you shitstorm like brainstorming, but for shitty products, and mostly that's fine with people. But every now and then, you'd be like, "Well, that might be offensive to somebody in the audience." I'm like. Me being a woman here might be offensive to someone, but I'm not going to stop doing that. So, I mean, lighten up. Come on, let's try some stuff and, you know, embrace that playfulness, that childlike wonder when, you know, you could look at something and go, wow, that's so fun or that's so cool or I never thought that would make me laugh. Why not try it? Why not try to bring someone a smile or a laugh today?
0: That's my take. Something that I love doing is the most like blandest presentations where it's like project update, like two, three, two, like I'll add in like a sneaky little slide with like, me watching Netflix on the couch. Like, oh, who put that in there? Oops. next. <laughs> <laughs> and it just like brightens the mood. It acknowledges the fact that we're all human, right? Like we laugh. Let's not pretend like we don't find things funny. And like, I think bringing that into the world of work is so important because it's also really engaging too, right? Uh, those brands that embrace having a you know a bit of humor their messages they kind of get stuck and that is like really powerful i'm really curious have you worked with people or brands that have been kind of reluctant to this idea and then they've had that aha moment and then it's stuck with them
1: actually i can talk about this because it's ancient skype I was working on a campaign for skype years ago and they I wouldn't call them like the most playful. They were a little more open to it, right? And I can't remember if it was right before or after Microsoft had taken them. But anyway, uh, they had a campaign and all they knew was they wanted to give away this sofa. And they sent me a mock-up that had a picture of a dog on a sofa. And I'm like, oh, this is super fun. So now I can make this. He's a character now who's destroying this sofa and you can use this kind of like, oh, look, Max redecorated with like the, f- you know, cushions totally torn apart. And uh, it was just really fun because up until then it was, you know, how do you say, how do you say pay for 10 minutes is, is X, Y, and Z it was very like straightforward. Get, get Skype to go. Or yeah, I can't even remember the old headlines. they were so boring. I wrote them. I can say that. And, uh, and so this was one of those times I actually saw them embrace, like, yeah, play with it, have fun. And uh, yeah, it was extremely rewarding. And like, it's, I remember it. It's like the one came campaign I really clearly remember. And they did have other funds with other, with other uh, campaigns. Uh, one was Simon Cowell and uh, things like that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other times. There's definitely times where people have thought, well, it's not appropriate or that's not how... That's not proper grammar. So like, are you kidding me? We don't speak in proper grammar. Who speaks in proper grammar? I don't know those pe- I don't want to know those people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's hilarious. I, I mentioned as well how I love infusing a little bit of, of humor in my day-to-day. Do you have any like tips or advice for how just anyone, the average Joe, can infuse a bit more human, in particular, how they can overcome some of that like resistance that you like find yourself in?
1: Hmm. I I usually think the simplest thing is think of what you would naturally send a friend to make them laugh you know because we do that all of us do that we're all we all have capability to be funny and to bring some levity to situations so it's like if you would send this to a friend like a gif or a joke or a comment and you can also think of like what you might send your mom or dad to laugh if you're a little more like well the corporation won't be have the same sense of humor as my friends but maybe as my mom. But I don't know. I think that might be a fun way to start. It's just like just take a tiny little step out there and, you know, throw in just a little thing that makes you laugh and experiment and um and again thinking of it as all just one big experiment, you know. That's that's a helpful way to look at to approach life, I think.
0: One thing That just came to mind as well is it's all, you know, fine and dandy to add a little bit more humor and to into your day to day, but there can also be times where it just like flops. And that's also like an interesting experience. I'm curious if you have any stories of, you know, something with just didn't fly and it wasn't received. I
1: did. I remember making this with, with my team, we made this, uh, for a tech company and they were, they had stuff in like gas, gas, uh, stations, So they would measure, I don't know. It's like, I don't understand everything that we write about. Just give me enough information that I need to know. And and we thought it was hilarious to have a picture of Thelma and Louise and a quote, the headline, something like, like a pump and run, but legal. Because they were talking about pump and runs at the gas station. And uh, I don't know, it just made me for all like, this is hilarious. Why obviously you would totally take this. They, there, are oh, so many times I've been told, tone it down. And that was one of the many times it's uh, honestly, it's been so many times. I don't remember them all distinctly because I would just constantly be like, yeah, but this is way funnier here. Here's this line. And they're like, no, we're going to put just like welcome team, you know, it's <laughs> just like something very, so honestly taking Doing this Tiny Tips series is the first time that I've really made something for me in years, 13 years or so. Besides doing my MFA thesis, which was working on human-animal relationships, this is the first thing I've made where I don't have somebody telling me, tone it down, Jocelyn, or there's four other people who need to review it today or take out this part. It's like, nope, I I get to make something... That is a demonstration of how my brain works, which you can see this is like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and uh, it's so much fun. Yeah.
0: I also had this conversation with a couple of other guests on the show where we've come across the topic of creativity. And one recurring theme is that a lot of people think that creativity is just all oh, like out of the box thinking, but it seems to be that it actually does help to have like a box, so to speak, like a set of like constraints. And it's it's a bit hard to be creative when there's just everything's just so broad. So I'm really curious, do you find it easier when you are trying to be funny like for yourself versus within like a set of parameters that you're given by say like a company that wants like so-and-so or do you like handle both just as well? What's that like?
1: When I'm working on stuff for a company, I'm usually working with people that I love to make laugh also, or they love to make me, we love to make each other laugh. And we're sort of aware of the things that the client will never accept. It's one of my favorites and his name is Matt. I call him British Matt behind his back. He's based in the UK and, and we've been working together for a lot like 12 or 13 years. And uh, we will constantly just send each other ridiculous, like, here's a headline idea or, you know, and we know it won't, it won't ever fly so we don't even bother putting it in but you know working on my own stuff it's uh, the you know pros and cons right on that side of it I don't really know I just have to if I think it's funny it's going in and hopefully other people also find it funny (laughs) because like you said not everything can land and not everything's going to make sense with everyone and when you're making a video you don't you can't just like quickly change something once you've released it. So it does feel like a a little more of a risk. And speaking of containers, for me, it was helpful to say, I'm just going to give myself two minutes. What what can I make in two minutes about a particular point? And that was extremely helpful.
0: That's a really good idea. Like time constraint is like a really interesting constraint on creativity. And in fact, one concept that I picked up from this book was to limit your conversation for like 30 seconds. Because you have to be a lot more thoughtful of what you're gonna say. and it kind of, you know, gets rid of a lot of the, the fluff and things that, and a lot of negative emotions actually. And I think that's also one good way to be creative. Like just limit the amount of time that you have to do something or if you're going to like even not, not just in like language and storytelling, but like design, for example, like give yourself one piece of paper, like yeah. divide it up, into like four sections and like try four concepts and do that in like a minute and see what happens and that works really well i've been to like workshops on ux and you'd be like surprised the ideas people have just like two minutes and you would have thought that must have taken you you know ages to come up with
1: yeah i i love those so the 30 seconds in in that book words can change your brain right I feel like on a podcast, I'm like, I have no idea. I feel like I've been talking for like three hours when (laughs) I'm answering a question. This is a good reminder, but it's such a good, you know, being concise in how you communicate and very careful with your words is doing a service to both brains. Yeah. And that point about when you put, if you're trying to solve a problem, especially you just go, I'm just going to put a timer on for a few minutes and like you said, it's like you got two minutes to come up with a solution. There you go. You'd be surprised what, what your brain can come up with in those constraints.
0: So, Jocelyn, I know that we are coming up to the top of uh, the hour soon, but I'm really curious, given all of this time that you've spent working with stories, with brains, if you could choose like one brand that you feel does an amazing job of telling stories and being funny as well. Which one would you pick? It could be one that you work with that you don't work with or one that's just top of mind at the moment.
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Who is doing funny stuff right now? You know, I think it's like Burger King and, and Wendy's have been really funny on uh, social media. They take a lot of risks. Burger King has taken a lot of risks and gotten a lot of flack for it, but they keep going. They had that whole, you know, moldy burger campaign, which to me was kind of funny, but I don't, I don't think that that was the intention. <sighs> Man, I'd have to think about that though, who's doing a really good job in, in being funny with branding right now. Who comes to mind for you?
0: I think the example you brought up of Wendy's is really like topical because I was speaking about this with some friends a couple of weeks back that, you know, they stream on Twitch. That's like no, didn't insane. Know that. <laughs> and it's not just them, but a lot of other fast food brands that are doing the same thing, right? Like there's this Spanish KFC brand that their Twitter is just insane. They post, the most like garbage memes, and I say that like it's just hilarious, right? I I'm from Gibraltar, which is like at the bottom of Spain, so like I I speak some Spanish, and I'm I'm looking at these, I'm just thinking like that that's insane, and they also stream on Twitch, and they streamed a couple weeks ago themselves playing Grand Theft Auto as Colonel Sanders, <laughs> and. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, that is so risky. Someone had to sit in a boardroom and say, you know, like, that's a great idea. You know, let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's do that. Let's play Grand Theft Auto on Twitch. That's our new marketing strategy. Like, it's wow, just <laughs> insane.
1: <laughs> Pretty brilliant though, right? Man, they know their audience. They know who they're getting to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I admire that they, they're willing to take that risk and also be so like modern as well, right? Like Twitch is a really like, you've got to be pretty like modern hip. There's probably some really young people running their like marketing division, but it's really cool to see. So yeah, that's one thing that comes to mind. Justin, it has been awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much for having this conversation with us. I think we've learned so much about brains and storytelling and being funny as well, and how that can have a really big impact on your brand. If there are people out there, listeners, that want to learn more about you and what you do. How can they find out more?
1: Yeah, jocelynbrady.com. And if you want to specifically find tiny tips, it's at Jostle Them, J O C E L T H E M, like mom, um, on YouTube and Instagram, and uh, Jocelyn Brady on LinkedIn. Hit me up in any of those places and uh, just send me a ridiculous gift. That's my favorite way to meet people. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Well, there you have it, everyone. I hope you enjoy the show. I'll make sure to leave some links in the show notes, so those of you that are interested can learn all about brains and Jocelyn and her tiny tips and jostle them. That's an amazing name. Like, oh my gosh, I read that <laughs> a couple of times, and I thought jost. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, thank you so much, Jocelyn, and I hope that everyone listening has a fantastic rest of their day. Thank you for listening to the show. In Your Element uncovers stories and ideas of people living in their element. If you know someone who has a great story or have a story of your own you'd like to share, then get in touch and join our growing community at inyourelement.fm. I would love to see you back here for next episode. As always, keep being you, keep crushing life, and keep finding your element. I'll see you in the next one.